All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lim, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And I should tell you that uh, Chen will be uh, accepting new subscribers uh, in a couple of weeks, actually starting uh, in the first uh, business day of January. Uh, Chen Lin will take on new subscribers uh, up to a set number of subscribers. He does cap the number of total subscribers. So if you want to uh, sign up for Chen, now is the time to put your name on a waiting list. Go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. I do think uh, there is a considerable room this time uh, for Chen's letter, so you might want to uh, go there, though, in any event, to make sure that you get a place uh, at the table for Chen Lin's what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? He's had a remarkable track record. Uh, by the way, just turned quite bullish on gold this week. His timing, obviously, is is very good. I do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. would also like to encourage you to continue sending your questions, comments, criticisms, praises, what have you, whatever thoughts you have about our show. Send those on to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, I do read all of them. I don't uh, haven't found the time to discuss them that much on the air. Uh, uh, there's just the one hour goes so fast, and I have so much to talk about for our guests. But I do read them, and I find them very interesting, very important, and and also helpful uh, in terms of forming and putting my show together. So please keep those coming to questions for Taylor at gmail dot com. Also, would encourage you to follow me uh, on Twitter at J Taylor Media. Uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our, fa- our sponsors for today's show, Caden Resources, Go Gold Resources, Uranium Energy Corporation, uh, and uh, our guest today uh, from Dynacore Gold, also a sponsor for the show, today's show. Um, today is a very happy day for me, not because the gold price is up sharply, and it is. It was up uh, over $30 earlier today. But because my wonderful wife, Teresa, escaped what could have been a very fatal brain aneurysm, 
the aneurysm in my wife's uh, brain was detected in an MRI that was done last Friday. On Monday morning of this week, about 10 o'clock, Mrs. Taylor received a call telling her to urgently go to the emergency room at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City. After further tests at about 8 p.m. last evening, uh, she went into surgery and with some amazing modern technology, uh, Dr. Langer and Dr. Ortiz were able to fix a slight bleeding in Teresa's brain through the least evasive methods possible. Absolutely amazing. Dr. Langer told me after the surgery that Teresa is very lucky. That, in fact, about one half of people who have those kinds of problems die. She uh, will remain in the hospital until the end of this week for observations and testing to make sure she is all right before she returns home. So Dr. Langer said Teresa is lucky. And I guess if you don't believe in God, it's luck. But as I look back at all the different decisions that she and I made, any one of which, if had we made it differently, she would not have had surgery, I have to think it was more like divine providence than luck that saved her life. And certainly the skills of, of Dr. Ortiz um, and uh, Dr. Langer, uh, we, we're very thankful for that. But uh, I, I do believe there is a God in heaven that wants uh, Mrs. Taylor to live a little longer for whatever his purposes are. So I'm very happy. I'm a very happy man today. And in the $30 rise in the gold price, while pleasing, doesn't measure up compared to uh, the thanks I give my creator for letting my wife stay with me a while longer. Regarding the markets, the gold lease rates and negative GOFO anomalies are gone for now at least, but it is interesting that the gold price as well as the equity markets are performing very much along the lines of what Dr. Robert McHugh has been predicting. Here is what Dr. McHugh wrote last night when he sent it out to his subscribers before uh, the markets opened today. Quote, stocks fell sharply Monday, December 8th, declining from the upper boundary of the small megaphone jaws of death patterns that have been in development for the past six to eight months. New sell signals in our key trend finder will suggest that a very strong decline to below the October 15th, 2014 lows is now beginning. The parabolic nature of wave E up that is the rally from October 15th, suggest a mini-crash could occur upon this pattern's reversal. On Monday, demand power fell five points while supply pressure rose eight points, telling us that the decline was strong and that deep pockets intervention stepped in to slow the decline. So he talks also about uh, a Hindenburg omen. That is, uh, he says, we got our fifth Hindenburg omen out in the past six trading days on Monday. Clearly, the stock market is in an unhealthy place, is the way Dr. McHugh put it. Continuing on, he says, stocks are topping, the dollar is topping, the euro is bottoming, oil is bottoming, gold, silver, and mining stocks are bottoming. The dollar is finishing the final leg of rising bear wedge. The euro is finishing the final leg of a declining bullish wedge, telling us that the U.S. dollar may rise towards the 90-ish level and then could fall sharply, while the euro could decline towards 122-ish and then should rise sharply. Those trend-terminating patterns should finish over the next week or two. This should support our bullish outlook for gold. Given the multiple bearish divergencies between price and underlying internal condition measures that have been getting more pronounced every day, it tells us that fewer stocks were participating in the rally from October 15th, and we have to pay close attention to any decline that may be starting now. We, sh we showed these uh, in the weekend report on pages 9 through 13. These divergences 
uh, are pretty large. That tells us that the decline coming out of them will also be large. Similar bearish divergences were seen before the recent September and October stock market plunge. End of quote from Dr. McHugh. Well, he has certainly uh, been calling it right uh, recently, uh, and uh, we'll keep our eyes on, on these markets and watch them very, very closely. Uh, as I just noted, gold has risen some $30 today as the equity markets have remained largely underwater uh, today. And, of course, yesterday was a big down day as well. U.S. equities have risen considerably off their lows but remain in the red uh, for the most part today. Uh, I think um, we do want to get on, though. I'm looking at the clock here. We need to get on with today's show, an introduction of it. I've named today's show Truth is a Lonely Warrior. Our guests today are James Perloff. Uh, he's an author of several books, and Jean Marchineau, the CEO of one of the one of my favorite gold mining companies, namely Dynacor Gold Mines. And I've named today's show "Truth Is a Lonely, a Lonely Warrior" after the title of James Perloff's latest book, which I will be talking to him about at about half past the hour today. James was with us once before to talk about a book he uh, he also wrote called "Shadows of Power." is very much uh, in line with the work of Ed, G. Ed Griffin, uh, who has also uh, been on this show a few times in the past. I'm guessing much of what James will tell us today uh, is, you know, from his book will be quite uncomfortable uh, for many of you. I say that because I find those, uh, many of the ideas in his book very uncomfortable for me as well. And some of the topics I expect uh, to ask James about, who are the people behind the institutions and the spiritual forces that propagate the big lie and agitate and foment domestic and foreign conflict? What really happened to trigger America into World War I, II, and the Vietnam, Korean, and Iraqi conflicts? What indications are there that 9-11 might not have been what we're told it was? Perloff's answers are in the book. They're tremendously well-documented, detailed answers, provocative. There's no other way to define it. Uh, Certainly um, not something that the mainstream wants you to think or believe or hear even. Uh, But uncomfortable as these topics are, as the good book says, know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that certainly is a model that we try to follow on this show, which is why we have folks like James Perloff, Ed Griffin, Ron Paul, and, and many, many others uh, on this show since we started in, two, in uh, 2005. Um, I should say ni- uh, t- 2009, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm losing track of time here. On a happier note, uh, aside from Perloff's uh, somewhat disturbing thesis, uh, in just a few minutes uh, after our first commercial break, I'm really pleased to tell you that Gene Martineau will be with me once again. He's the president and CEO of one of my favorite gold mining companies, namely Dynacor Gold Mines. Uh, in my own portfolio, Dynacor is one of my top five holdings. It is a favorite for several reasons. First, its unique business model uh, is, is really makes it less risky than most gold mining companies. It, it locks in good profits in down markets and up markets. Uh, but it is not only its lower risk profile, I really like the upside, long-term upside prospects, steady growth, uh, organic growth, not raising capital, only 36.5 million shares outstanding, something around, along those lines. Uh, the company has grown from its cash flow, from its profits, and just growing the way companies should grow. Uh, and I should also mention that uh, the company... Uh, it's got great upside potential from another property called Tumi Pampa that uh, he'll be talking to you about. So this is really one of my favorites, and I think one of the lowest risk, long-term 
one of the bigger gainers that I expect uh, to enjoy going forward in this gold bull market. We do have to go to break now, but uh, when we come back, uh, I expect we're going to be uh, talking to Jean uh, Martineau. In fact, uh, my engineer tells me that uh, he is already here, so uh, that's good. We're going to go to break now, and, but don't go away. We'll be right back with Jean Martineau. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Jean Martineau from Dynacor Gold Mines. He's the president and CEO of that company that he founded back in 2006. Uh, he has worked in the Canadian mining industry for more than 30 years as a director of junior gold mining companies and as an investment broker as well. During the last 20 years, he has focused on South America and has acquired an in-depth knowledge in the management of natural resource companies in South America. His Latin American expertise has been of prime importance in the development of Dynacor Gold Mines operations in Peru, and that is absolutely true because there are other people that have tried to put uh, Jean Martineau's uh, business model into effect in Peru and elsewhere and have not had the uh, the success that he has had with Dynacor in large part, I think, because Jean has taken this time to build the company the right way to establish good relationships with people, uh, and uh, he, he is a very smart businessman, has done extremely well. Uh, so I'm really pleased to have Jean with me again. Thank you for joining me today, Jean. Good afternoon, Jay. It's a pleasure to be with you today. It's really good to have you with me, and I guess you're going to be heading back to Peru very shortly. Is that right, before Christmas? Uh, well, tomorrow I'll be on a plane uh, flying from Toronto to Lima. Uh, from Toronto to Lima. Okay. Yes. How long a flight is that, Jean? Oh, it's an eight-hour flight. It's a direct oh, not flight. Too bad. Only a direct flight from Canada, so Toronto Lima. I say it's eight hours in the same yeah. time zone. So it's uh, it's interesting for that. Nice. very good. Okay, well, Dynacor Mines uh, Gold Mines uh, trades on Toronto in Toronto under the symbol DNG, and you can buy it down here in the states under the symbol DNGDF, as I have. Thirty-six and a half million shares outstanding, Gene. That's remarkable. You've held the number of shares down because you've grown the company from internal sources of cash flow. I see. In the United States today, it's priced at a dollar thirty-eight in U.S. money. That gives it a market cap of around fifty million dollars in U.S. money.
money. And what I really like about this company, Gene, is your very unique uh, business model, which I think reduces the risk from what most junior mining companies uh, experience. And um, you're, you go out and buy the um, you buy ore from small miners, and there's many of them in in Peru. Uh, and you're able then to sort of lock in a profit margin. So if the gold price goes down, you might not make quite as much, but you still make a, a healthy margin. If the gold price goes up, you make a slightly higher margin. Do I have that right? Yes, exactly uh, what it is, because we buy all uh, based on the gold, the international gold price, and we keep a margin on this uh, roughly a gross margin of about 17%. So if the gold price goes up or down, we, we, we keep our margin there. It's less if the gold price is a little bit lower, but it guarantees us that at almost any gold price, we earn money and uh, we can uh, pay for the development of the company with this. You are you are profitable this year again. Uh, I think there was a hiccup or two early in the year having to do more with government regulation. Do I have that right? Yes, in the first quarter, the government uh, just uh, did a lot of investigation about uh, we had to prove the pro the. the uh, where come from every ounce of gold exported uh, in, in Peru from uh, camp by companies uh, which don't operate a mine. So and uh, there was a, a negotiation between the small miners in the country and the government uh, because, as you know, they are in the formalizing process there, and they wanted a couple of years more more time to uh, do all this process because it's not an easy process for these guys who you can understand are not, uh, uh, they don't have any uh, university degree. So uh, it's uh, to, to uh, organize a campaign, it's a little bit complicated. So in the first quarter, there was some uh, production loss, but now we're back uh, at full, uh, full capacity. We have increased at the beginning of this year the mill capacity to 250 ton per day, but we haven't been able to work at full capacity before mid of this year. And now it's working uh, full uh, at full capacity. It's going very well. And in the last uh, months now, it's uh, it's uh, just uh, going very very well. So uh, actually, we are 250 ton per day, and. Uh, we uh, prepare us to increase this uh, mail capacity again, probably to 300 ton per day in the coming months. Okay, what do you expect to earn this year, Jean? What, what sort of uh, per share earnings are? Have you given guidance on that in a range? Uh, we haven't uh, given uh, guidance. The guidance we've, uh, we uh, we have given was on a production around 70,000 ounces of gold because of the uh, the first uh, quarter uh, uh, lower production on the, on the first quarter. The second quarter started uh, a little bit uh, low too, so we may be short of that by maybe one uh, 1,000, 1,500 ounces uh, of gold. But uh, we have generated in the first three quarters, uh, uh, it's uh, 13 cents per share. Uh, so we should be this year a little bit uh, lower than last year. Last year we have generated 25 cents per, uh, per share. This mm-hmm. year will probably be around uh, 19 cents per share. But uh-huh. as I said, we're back to full production actually. And just based on the uh, on the actual production at 250 ton per day, uh, we would uh, process in a full year uh, close to 80,000 ounces of gold. So remember that in 2013 we have processed 76,000 ounces of gold, 
And uh, so next year, if we don't move the capacity where, uh, from where it is today, we would be at 80. So next year will be uh, a quite an interesting year, too, on the production side. Uh, Jean, I understand, um, first of all, I lost a little bit of the audio there uh, when we were talking, so I'm not sure you might have covered this. But I think that, um, you, so you've been producing at the Akari mill, that's where you've been producing, and you're planning to build another mill that is has a lot of different advantages, I think location, access, and so forth, at a place called Chala. Uh, how is that going? Well, uh, this uh, we, we're still waiting for the permit. We mm-hmm. had uh, a lot of delays, and uh, we think that is, uh, it's linked to... Uh, all this uh, formalizing process the government is uh, is underway now because they began that two years ago, two years and a half ago, and uh, it was supposed to be done in two years. Now they have uh, put uh, given uh, given another two years to complete that. So it's uh, it's not an easy situation. It's a little bit complicated, uh, but we have applied for this uh, this permit, and uh, we uh, hope to have it uh, as soon as possible. Uh, I don't have any date on this but during that time we have continued to increase the the one camel capacity to increase the one camel capacity mm-hmm. so we were 220 ton per day per year uh, per day at the beginning of uh, uh, last year we began this year 250 ton per day and we expect to continue to increase that in uh, 2015 to uh, 300 ton per day so mm-hmm. when we're going to uh, be uh, ready to start the chala mill uh, we're going to be already at 300 ton per day. So uh, mm-hmm. we don't lose any time on this uh, on this part. We're increasing the capacity anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's not going. Uh, it's going pretty well, and the uh, the grade is still very high. We are able to attract uh, the, the the highest uh, gold grade producer because we have uh, the best. Uh, Recovery rate in this uh, in this sector in Peru, uh, we have, we recover uh, up to 94, 95 percent of the gold in that. And I remember uh, you that uh, it's a mix of uh, more than 250 different mines that we we put together. So it's not an easy job to do that, uh, having a so high recovery rate. And because we have a high recovery rate, we're able to attract the best producers, and yeah. uh, we have a highest. Uh, Grade in the in the in the head grade, so it it, it helps us to produce more too. So it's a, it's a very good situation. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing that you're able to get those kind of recoveries from the grades that you're getting. But I suppose that you obviously, if you're having some real complex ores or whatever, you just wouldn't uh, wouldn't accept those probably. I mean, because there would be, you know, there's a roasting or something like that you don't do. So if uh, no, I'm so sure that uh, there are some kind of ore that we can process. Uh-huh. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, yeah. remember that behind that, we have 16 years of experience in that field. We have a network of uh, uh, guys going all around the country to visit these uh, these producers, to select that, and uh, to attract the best guys. So it has been a long process, many years, because when we began that job, uh, we had a recovery rate like the others, 72, 75 percent, because mixing a lot of go off all together, uh, your your recovery rate uh, uh, comes down uh, quite fast. Sure. So sure. over the years, it has been uh, we have been able to improve that, and today we're very proud to say that we have uh, the best recovery rate uh, there, and that's why we can attract the best guys because more ore we recover from their ore, uh, we can pay them a better price. 
So this is this is the idea. But uh, we need uh, like uh, we've been in this business for uh, 16, 17 years now. So yeah. that's why we've been able to get there. Well, Gene, you know, most mines, uh, they're lucky to have 16 or 17 years of mine life. How much mine life is there from the small miners? I mean, how many of these guys are there? I mean, is there any chance that you're going to run out of ore anytime soon from uh, from these small miners? Well, you know, in uh, in Peru, uh, uh, they, they, they are... Uh, Thousand and thousand and uh, tens of thousands of miners in the country. Uh-huh. Uh, they mine all over the country. We buy ore from uh, well, uh, probably around two hundred fifty different uh, miners, and you have thousands of them. So uh, you had these guys mining in Peru for almost since Peru exists. Mm-hmm. And uh, it won't be tomorrow that it's going to stop. So if one miner uh, stopped to work, we can easily replace them, uh, replace him uh, by another one. And because we have a very good recovery rate, it's not very difficult for us to replace this guy. So uh, we don't have any reserves as a, as a mine for 10 years or 15 years. I think we have much more than that because uh, there, is, uh, uh, there, there are so many miners in the country that we mm-hmm. can buy uh, from uh, many, many guys. And it's not tomorrow that this business will, uh, will, be, uh, will be over because uh, uh, they had 70,000 uh, informal miners that got involved in the formalizing process. And uh, so how many will go to the end of that? It's difficult to say today, but it gives you an idea of uh, how, many, uh, how many guys are working in there. Yeah. Uh, so so many so many of these guys, and we work with 250 of them. Jean, uh, what I find very exciting about your company is not only the fact uh, that you've been able to grow the company organically, little by little, but also your Tumi Pompe prop- property, and you have there three different kinds of ore. Talk to us briefly about you're expecting some fairly uh, some production to come from Tumi Pompe. You have some very high grade ore there that you're expecting to produce from, and as I understand it, possibly at Chala if the mill is built in time, or if need be, uh, going down to Akari. Uh, you, you can take the ore, because it's of high grade, to either place and make it work, and, th- and that will be a higher, uh, a higher margin than what you're getting from the uh, milling that you're doing of other people's ore. Is that right? And can you talk to us a little bit what your plans are, uh, the three different kinds of ore that you have at Tumi Pampa, uh, and just let our listeners know what the prospects are there for that company, because I think that is really the great blue sky potential that comes from Tumi Pampa. Yeah, you're right on this, uh, Jay. We have uh, up to now identified three uh, mineralized, uh, very important mineralized zones. The most, uh, uh, the most uh, explored is uh, the zone where we have these uh, identified 15 veins of very high grade. The average grade there is around half an ounce per ton, uh, so it's very, very high. We have identified, as I said, more than 15 veins. One, the major one, is the Manto Dorado, which is up to 7.4 meters wide. And uh, we did a cross-cut last year when we went through uh, the Manto on the ground, and the average grade there was uh, 22 grams, uh, mm. per ton, which is nice. 0.7, 0.75 ounce per ton on the walls, and it was uh, more than one ounce per ton on the roof of this uh, cross-cut. So nice. it showed yeah. that it's very high grade. It's, uh, it's thick. It's, it's quite thick. So the idea with uh, the, the mill, the actual mill, the new mill, uh, we want to transfer the actual production to the new mill in Chala when it's going to be built. And the actual mill could uh, be used 
as a pilot plan, for example, when we're going to mm-hmm. be ready to begin to extract some more from Tumipampa. So mm-hmm. we won't have to wait until we have uh, fully developed and explored a property and have, let's say, uh, X amount of uh, reserves in, uh, in, in ounces of gold on the property, but we're going to be ready to, uh, we, can, we could extract 100 or 200 or 300 ton per day and truck it down to the one camel, uh, use it as a pilot plant, and uh, do all the, uh, the metallurgical testing on this. Uh, it's going to serve as a prefab or a feasibility study. Uh, it's it's going to be a wonderful tool for us to develop that part. And mm-hmm. uh, at this grade, if we have at the end, uh, this uh, uh, half an ounce per ton, it's going to be economic to track it down to eject the actual mill, process it there, and even tracking down there, we're going to have a, a highest margin than on the margin we have on the O we buy, actually. So that would be economically a very good uh, operation. But beside that, it's sure that on the long term, the idea is to build a mill on the spot. Because uh, we're gonna save on the transportation, we're sure. gonna earn much money, but we're gonna be able this way to begin probably production much sooner, much more rapidly than we could usually. Because you know that to have all the permitting for mill is much more complicated than to have uh, the permit uh, to to extract ore uh, from a mine. Because where sure. you have your mill, you use chemical, you need tailing. Uh, you know, you need all that. You use water, so it's much more, uh, much more study, much more uh, environmental impact study, uh, mm-hmm. much, uh, much more work. So it is going to be delayed uh, some years. But with this actual mill, all permitted, we could uh, begin to uh, to uh, to to produce that much faster. And during that time, we're going to be able to continue the exploration on the disseminated, on the scarn. We uh, did a lot of exploration in 2014, but it was more uh, like surface uh, uh, sampling, uh, geophysical studies that are not so, uh, I would say, sexy for the market. Sure. They are fundamental, and it's first, uh, you have to do that at the beginning. And we did a lot of this year. A lot of infrastructure work, like uh, rebuild the road completely. Now we have, I've been there uh, 10 days ago. I was on the spot in Tumipampa. The road is now just wonderful, uh, very, very much shorter to go there. Uh, we have a, a very good campsite. We have Internet on the spot. Uh, now we have a permanent uh, settlement there, and we're going to be able to accelerate our exploration, which we want to do in 2015. Mm-hmm. Because we did a cross cut last year, as you know, of uh, 300 meters uh, deep in the mountain. This year we're gonna uh, we just started, and we're gonna uh, dig that uh, past the uh, 700 meters uh, mark. We're gonna begin in the coming weeks a second cross cut parallel to this one. After that, we want to join these two cross cut on the ground, going uh, through the Mount Dorado. So we're gonna have a lot of interesting exploration uh, done in 2015. Well, you sure do, and those are all drivers I think that investors should really be watching. I should tell my listeners, I, I guess I actually did, that uh, uh, the Dynacor is one of my top picks. It's one of my top holdings personally. I love this company because of the ri- limited risk on the downside and because of Tumi Pampa. I think you have tremendous upside potential there. One last question. We're out of time, Gene, but before we go, how much cash do you have in the till, and how far will that take you towards these, uh, towards the building of Chala and uh, this exploration work you're doing 
uh, up at, uh, at Tumi Papa? Well, actually, uh, well, at the end of the third quarter, we had $14 million in cash in the bank account. So I expect by the end of this year, we should be uh, $15, $16 million. Uh, so we had the, the Chala Mill, uh, the budget for that was $10 million. We already spent uh, $2.3 million. So we have another uh, $8 million to spend there. So we have all the money in the bank to pay for that. We have all the money in the bank to pay for the, all the two, 2015 exploration campaign oh, that's on, terrific. on the Tumipampa property. And uh, we are getting in uh, these days uh, close to uh, $1 million in uh, free cash every month, uh, between probably $800,000 and $1, uh, $1 million. So mm-hmm. we have more cash than what we need uh to de- to develop that so we're going to be able to accelerate the exploration on Tumipampa and oh, well. as soon as we get the chala permit we have all the cash needed to pay for that without any dilution Oh, that's just really marvelous. And this is why you've got only 36.5 million shares, Gene. Congratulations on a fabulous job you've done uh, over the years for us shareholders. The, uh, the main thing is with 36.5 million shares, you didn't talk very much about the SCARN, but you have some major mining companies, big guys that are really interested in your property as well. And when the time is right, you may invite them to come in because these will be very, very large projects if they go forward. Uh, but that, uh, to me, if you have some sort of a major discovery on top of the other things that you know you have now, with 36.5 million shares outstanding, the upside can be marvelous for investors. And that's why I think you know it's so important. Uh, the share dilution issue is so important. So I really want to thank you, Gene, as a shareholder for uh, for helping me and the rest of the shareholders. I really think my listeners should pay attention to this company. Gene, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being with me. I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Well, thank you very much, Jay. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And uh, we uh, keep in touch. And uh, when you need, uh, when you want some... Uh some updates on the company. I'll be very pleased to come back on your uh, on your radio show. Very good. Thank you very much uh, for Thank that. You. Well, folks, uh, we're going to go to commercial break now. And when we come back, uh, you don't want to leave when because when we come back, James Perloff is here. Uh, he's the author of Shadows of Power. He's got some very interesting, I think, very provocative, very important things to tell you. So don't go away. We'll be right back with James Perloff. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. XV and CTNXF on the OTC. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, for a second time James Perloff. He's uh, the author of a book that we talked to him about the last time he was with us. That's The Shadows of Power. Uh, that's an expose of private influences on American foreign policy, uh, and it sold over 100,000 copies. And uh, so I, that was one that I first learned to know uh, something about James about, and, and I, I would really highly recommend The Shadows of Power. It was published some years ago, but it's very, very prevalent. It's very, very relevant, I should say, to today. today's uh, topic that we're going to be talking to him about, his most recent book, The Truth is a Lonely Hunt, uh, Warrior. Uh, the Truth is a Lonely Warrior. Uh, he's also done some very, very uh, interesting other things. I haven't read these books, but I really want to if I can find the time. Uh, he has written another book um, about Darwin's theory of evolution, including a tor- uh, the tornado in a junkyard. That sounds very interesting. And he wrote, uh, he's written for the uh, New American Magazine for nearly three decades. Uh, and he is a regular contributor at uh, Henry Macau, henrymacau.com. So uh, welcome, James. It's really good to have you with me again. Uh, thank you, Jay. It's been a long time. It's been a long time, and I, I, you have really done a lot of work. Uh, you've been a, a, a much more prolific uh, writer than I was aware of. Uh, let's jump right into The Truth is a Lonely Warrior. I mean, we could certainly talk about Shadows of Power, but there's too much, uh, so much to cover and uh, so little time to do it. Chapter 2 of your book, uh, you name six wars the United States has been engaged in since the Civil War. Uh, referring to those wars, you state, quote, one could soundly argue that in each war, American involvement was based on deception, a false pretext, or putting it most charitably, a mistaken pretext. And these wars have another common denominator. The same group was behind our participation in each, end of quote. Now, those six wars that you refer to, the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, and the Iraqi War. Could you take a few minutes to talk about the deception uh, that took place in those, in those conflicts or getting the American people into those conflicts and uh, supporting them? Uh, and who are those people that are behind that uh, deception? Well, yes. Uh, one thing I've found, Jay, is, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, what they call a 911 truth movement that's poked a lot of holes in the official story. And mm-hmm. that, uh, certainly, and I'm among them that believe that 911 was uh, deliberately planned in order to generate homeland security and to start invading um, our, um, our rights here in America from the top down. But uh, for a lot of people, they can't believe that because they think, well, you know, we live in a democracy. Yeah. All power belongs in the hands of the people. What yeah. I'm doing in this chapter is showing them that uh, this was not the first false flag, that this has been going on for a long time. And, of course, uh, it, was part of the, it was one of the events that uh, brought us into this nonstop sequence of um, 
involvement in Middle East wars. But uh, going back to the Spanish-American War, you know, the, uh, they're the same players really behind the scenes. You've got the National City Bank running the McKinley White House ever since John D. Rockefeller bailed out uh, McKinley when he was governor of, of um, Ohio. And yeah. National City Bank wanted to get control of the Cuban sugar industry, but Cuba was a colony of Spain. So all of a sudden, you had... Uh, what do you know? Some you, you still see these days atrocity stories, fake atrocity stories in the William Randolph Hearst type yellow press about the uh, Cubans being thrown to sharks by the Spaniards and Spaniards roasting Cuban uh, priests. And so National City Bank loaned America $200 million to uh, fight that war. And after the war, the Cuban sugar industry came under the control of National City Bank. And, uh, of course, the American people had to pay off that loan through a, a uh, telephone tax. And that was the first war where Americans were convinced that it was their duty to fight for somebody else's rights instead of their own. Oh. But that was the first. And, of course, the, the main was a, was a big part of that. But I'll tell you, one thing I do want to make, one last point about the Spanish-American wars, the last thing Spain wanted was to blow up the main and to have a war with us because they had a wood navy, we had a steel navy. They knew there was no hope of winning that war. The only reason they fought it was because when McKinley ordered them to leave Cuba, uh, that would have caused a revolution in Spain because everybody in Cuba, liberal or conservative or monarchist, they all believed that Cuba was part of Spain. They'd ruled it since 1511. They looked at it as part of their own country, just like we would consider Hawaii part of America. So they fought mm-hmm. a hopeless war. But that was the first deception. And then you move it up to the Lusitania in World War, World War I. One, and uh, the Lusitania was sent deliberately into the path of a German U-boat by Winston Churchill. It was a passenger ship. He'd been trying to get the Germans to sink uh, an American ship by uh, having merchant ships armed and uh, having them fire on U-boats so they could no longer surface. And he was hoping they would eventually mistake a uh, American ship for a British ship. didn't happen, so he settled for the next best thing, which was to have the Germans sink a British ship with a lot of Americans on board. And mm-hmm. Americans were told that the Germans sank the Lusitania uh, because it, uh, they wanted to kill women and children. But the real reason they, they sank it was because it had millions of... Uh, Rifle cartridges and, and uh, 46 tons of uh, aluminum powder, which the British used in their uh, artillery, and tens of tons of uh, gun cotton, which they used in their mines. They, they were thinking it to stop the munitions from reaching the, uh, the European war front. But, but that's not what we were told. We got, ultimately got a declaration of war out of that deception. So, that, so, you, so you we were told... So this is this is a, a common thread that that runs through all these all these wars, I guess. Uh, I mean, it sounds so familiar. We're, we're hearing things now about the Ukraine, about Putin. Mm-hmm. I, I have reason to doubt a, 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 most of it is true. I, I I don't know. Well, uh, did you notice that uh, you know a year ago they tried to get us to have uh, airstrikes in war in Syria over right. alleged uh, use of uh, uh, chemical weapons. Chemical weapons, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Never proven. back to the drawing board, and now it seems that ISIS beheading videos are, uh, are the right trigger for American public opinion. But if you just go back to the uh, uh, Gulf War of 91, we were sit- Americans were sitting in the fence. They didn't really think it was worth it to go to war over Kuwait. It was a questionable scenario. And then all of a sudden you had a young girl testifying before Congress that Kuwaiti babies were thrown out of their incubators by 
the Iraqi invaders, yeah. and she gave yeah. a tearful testimony. What people didn't know is this girl had not been in Kuwait. She was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador, and right. she's been trained on this tearful testimony by an international public relations firm. This, this is a, just a consistent pattern. Just everybody knows about the Tonkin Gulf as well with Vietnam, and it just goes on. Um, I have a, my current post on my uh, blog, which is jamespoloff.com, is, uh, is called uh, Pearl Harbor Roosevelt's 911, and we talk in there about now how Japan was not only provoked into the attack, but how Roosevelt, against all military advice, moved our fleet from the West Coast to the very vulnerable position of Pearl Harbor, and how uh, the government had complete foreknowledge of the Pearl Harbor attack through decoded naval intercepts, decoded diplomatic intercepts, personal warnings, none of which was shared with our military commanders in Hawaii who were afterwards scapegoated. So we're looking at a continuum that has been dictated by an oligarchy that runs our government behind the scenes for its own agenda. Right. And the Vietnam War, how did we get into that? What was the deception there? Well, as we just, as I, uh, for oh, just a moment, mentioned. touched on, of course, the, yeah. the Tonkin Gulf, which even, yeah. you can go on YouTube, you can see the sailors uh, on the, uh, the USS uh, Maddox destroyer where the alleged uh, attack was made upon uh, in the Tonkin Gulf. And in my book, Truth is a Lonely Warrior, an extensive quote from James Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale was a Congressional Medal of Honor winner who was, uh, flew, overflew the uh, scene of the alleged attack for an hour and a half. It was August the 4th, 1964. And uh, he testifies that uh, there were no uh, Vietnamese torpedo boats in, uh, at all in that region. And so that was another deception that cost over 50,000 GIs their lives. It's a continuum, and uh, you know, any one of these things isolated could be dismissed as an accident, but when you see the same pattern of deception, the same pattern of atrocity tales that later turn out to be fabrications, you realize that there is an agenda, that this is deliberate, and this is not an isolated accident. Yeah, in your, um, in your book, Shadows of Power, I remember reading about Congressman Oscar Calloway um, that um, he had actually read into the record, uh, in fact, that the um, some of the ruling elite, some of the very wealthy people that I'm sure we'll be talking about in a minute or two, uh, really started to um, re- really really started to influence, or the 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 ruling elite of wealthy businessmen bought up the newspapers essentially, so they could control the flow and decide what was discussed uh, as news. Uh, do you think that is that? I, I, presumably, you think that's still going on, or even more so now, through the uh, the modern media. Absolutely, with the exception of alternative media like uh, your show. Uh, if you move it up to 1937, Ferdinand Lundberg wrote a book called America's Sixty Families, where he talked about how there is a uh, plutocracy that rules America behind the facade of democracy, and he has a chapter there. Uh, showing uh, from coast to coast, he shows who owned what newspaper, and it was the 60 that owned virtually every major newspaper in China. I think the Howard Scripps chain was the only one, but you take it up to today, Jay, and we have six multinational corporations controlling over 90% of the media. It's Time Warner, Walt Disney, Viacom, News Corp, CBS, and uh, NBC, right? And just to take Time Warner as an example, uh, you know, people think we have a diverse media, but, you know, whoever owns the a business calls the shots, and Time Warner owns not only Time Magazine 
and Warner Brothers, but they own uh, HBO and they own CNN and Turner Broadcasting and Cinemax and TBS and America uh, Online until the recent spinoff and Sports Illustrated and Fortune Magazine and Money Magazine and People Magazine. And it just goes on, on and on just for that one corporation. And so, uh, yes, this control has consolidated. And uh, somebody pointed out recently that the, um, the largest shareholder in Time Warner is also the largest shareholder in um, Goldman Sachs, which was the largest contributor to the uh, Republican and Democratic uh, presidential campaigns in the last election. So we really see this this, uh, uh, nexus of uh, control in uh, media, big business, and government. Right. So they and they cover both. They cover all their bases, just as a lot of these guys were funding Hitler in World War II. They funded the United States, too. So, uh, you know, tails, I win, heads, I win, I guess, is is the strategy there with these guys. Um, uh, Chapter three, the devil as banker, I thought really fascinating. Uh, and it starts out with a very interesting quote from Abraham Lincoln. I'll read it from my from your book. Uh, I see in the near future a crisis approaching that unnerves me and causes me to tremble for the safety of my country. Corporations have been enthroned. An era of corruption will follow. And the money power of the country will endeavor to prolong its reign by working upon the prejudices of the people until the wealth is aggregated in a few hands and the republic destroyed. Abraham Lincoln, November 21st, 1864. Wow. Was that prescient or what? I mean, it seems to mean exactly as the middle class of America is now being hollowed out, that that's exactly what's going on now, isn't it? Yes, that quote is timeless, uh, and we see this uh, this uh, consolidation of power. It's not only in the media, but, um, you know, uh, before, years ago, when I heard about these business mergers, I didn't think too much about it, that this is, people were trying to make things more profitable, but you sure. see consolidation of control. And so you saw that the Warburg's Manhattan Bank merged with the Rockefeller's Chase Bank and became Chase Manhattan, and then Chase Manhattan merged with J.P. Morgan and became J.P. Morgan Chase. And we see corporations that are fewer in number but larger in uh, assets and strength uh, starting to get a stranglehold. And you see the, the big corporations coming into small towns, the Walmart and the CVS and the small mom-and-pop business getting knocked up. You know, I found, uh, Jay, that this consolidation is in really in every uh, geopolitical and social avenue. It's happening, of course, on a political scale in Europe. We see, uh, as a predecessor, really a stepping stone to world government, the EU, with the consolidation of currencies and laws and the, uh, you know, an international court of justice. And the EU even has its own ambassadors. And, of course, you know about NAFTA. NAFTA is intended to be a launching point for a North American Union, just as the common market was a launching point for the uh, European Union, and even within religion, Jay, uh, these guys are aiming not only for a one-world government, but a one-world religion, and that's really the story behind ecumenicism, and that's why the Rockefellers were funding that. They funded the, the uh, National Council of Churches and then the uh, World Council of Churches. It's all about, you know, consolidation is, uh, equals control, and that is actually what the Founding Fathers warned us uh, about. They, that's why they wanted power divided, right? They wanted not just mm-hmm. one branch of government, uh, not just an executive, but they wanted him to be 
held in check by a legislature, and even within the legislature, a check and a balance between the, the Congress, uh, the House and Senate, and then a check on those powers by the judiciary, and then a check on the whole federal government by the states in the way they originally envisioned it. So uh, what we're seeing happen now is a move towards world government. It's, it's a gradual process. It's a boil-the-fraud process, but it is happening, and it's certainly unfolding uh, as a result of a, a deliberate scheme or an agenda and not simply by chance. So the idea here is uh, through these trade ar- arrangements, I know there's something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership that they're mm-hmm. working on now, uh, that essentially what you're doing, and as I understand it, a lot of the, uh, the issues that would normally come up in the U.S. courts will have to go to an international court now. So the idea is to get rid of the sovereignty of these individual nations, get rid of Canadians have, can't be Canadian anymore, Americans can't be Americans, Mexicans can't be Mexicans, we'll all just become NAFTA and one government, but step by step they're around the world, around the globe, that's the, that's, that's the goal here, I guess, of the ruling elite. Uh, that's absolutely true. And you know, um, the, the uh, destroy yeah. national sovereignty that has been going on from really uh, the very beginning. Uh, when the Council on Foreign Relations, which was the subject of my book, The Shadows of Power, they were actually generated as a direct reaction to the U.S. Senate's rejection of the League of Nations. They did not want uh, America to join the League, which was the first step at, uh, first attempt at an organized world government. And the Council on Foreign Relations was formed as a response to that. Uh, it was headed by J.P. Morgan Partners and Attorneys when it first started out, and it has served as the chief recruiting ground for uh, American cabinet-level personnel, and uh, just reading a quote from the back of my new book, Truth is the Lonely Warrior, uh, since its 1921 founding, with small organization has produced 21 secretaries of defense, 19 treasury secretaries, 18 secretaries of state, and 16 CIA directors, and of course, that is the Council on Foreign Relations, and that's how this oligarchy that Ferdinand Lundberg talked about in 1937 in his book, uh, America 60 famous. That is how the oligarchy controls presidents and how it controls foreign policy is by directly supplying cabinet level and sub cabinet level personnel to presidents, whether they are Democrat or Republican. And of course, that's why we see only cosmetic changes when we shift from one party to another uh, in no. uh, administration. It's state of switches in the White House. It's really the same government, isn't it? Very interesting. Uh, you, you mentioned the Council of Foreign Relations, which was put together by David Rockefeller, funded by the Rockefellers, to, uh, money to start with. And a very interesting quote in his book, in his memoirs, uh, he says, Some people even believe we, meaning the Council of Foreign Relations, are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and, uh, and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure, one world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I'm proud of it. David Rockefeller on page 405 of David Rockefeller memoir. So they're, they're really admitting that we want to take over the world. We want to get rid of individual sovereign nations. We want to have a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world currency, a one-world everything, right? Take, we don't have the right as people anymore uh, to determine our own, our own destiny or what we believe. They don't want us to be free, but we are. We, we can still believe what, what, we, what we know is right, which is why we have this show. That's right. And we have actually something, an asset that they don't. We have the asset called truth. And I believe that that is a lot more powerful than money. 
Yeah, indeed. And I, I might mention, uh, James, that I, I do respect your, your uh, views of the spiritual world. Uh, I think there's a very, very interesting quote. I don't know if I have time to read it, but it's from the book of Matthew, uh, in which, uh, and sometimes my wife reminds me of this, because sometimes I get very angry when I see certain things being said uh, on television. I see the lies that are being told. I get very upset, and and she reminds me that this is a spiritual, uh, not a blood, um, you know, not a not a physical thing. It's it's a spiritual realm that we're fighting against, and so you know, my engineer is telling me we're out of time. I can't believe it, James. I cheated you by five minutes. I want to have you back sometime very soon because there's so much more to talk to you about. I well, really appreciate it. Go ahead. All your guests are worthy hearing from, so I don't feel cheated at all. Um, well, sure it's a, get them, their, their listening worth out of this show, whether well, uh, the, one person overruns it by a couple minutes or not. The truth is a lonely uh, warrior. You can buy it in the bookstore. The, uh, your website as well, James? Yes, jamesproloff.com. I have a lot of blog posts um, on uh, these subjects like false flags in the Fed and so forth. So I invite people to there go there. So- so can, much uh, we didn't get to today, and it's all in this book, uh, but we, we want to have you back again sometime soon, James. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Jay. I want to remind you, folks, that uh, Wednesday we post a blog with a, a, a podcast with David Jensen to talk about the gold markets. On Friday, Daniel McAdams to talk about the geopolitical issues uh, from the Ron Paul Institute uh, Peace and Prosperity. Next week, uh, our special guest will be Michael Oliver. Uh, he's done a remarkable job in calling some markets in a very timely manner, the ones that we care most about. Uh, in closing, I want to thank each of you for, for listening. I want to thank the staff at Voice America, Tacey Trump, Matt Widener, for making the show logistical, logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O.com. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at Dynacor Gold. 